This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I'm really excited about our conversation today. Uh, we're talking with Shannon K. Evans. Uh, she wrote a book a, a number of years ago, Embracing Weakness, The Unlikely Secret to Changing the World. We had a conversation about that. You can find it in our archives by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and looking through the sidebar there, scrolling down to Shannon's name and clicking on it. It's I, I highly recommend the book. It's fantastic. And so when I, when I came across my news feed that there was a new one coming out, I knew that this was a conversation we needed to have. The new book is Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to Empowered Feminine Spirituality by Shannon K. Evans. Shannon, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Your interview for my first book was one of my favorite interviews. Oh, excellent. I I was like, yes, sign me up to have another conversation. (laughs) So I'm looking at at this book and, you know, with a title like this, it kind of narrows down the demographic of who immediately says, ooh, I need to read that book, Um, Your Path to Empowered Feminine Spirituality. However, husbands, fiancés, whomever out there, um, this is such a helpful book in coming to understand the needs that your spouse is going to have to help her make the space to do the things that we're going to talk about here in the episode today. So this is a book that you should buy for her as a gift and then read it. Uh, because it's gonna it's gonna be well worth your time. Um, so one of the things that you get to early in the book is maybe a reevaluation of the things that you held to be true just by virtue of living in the Christian culture that you've lived in. So there's this understanding of what the good Christian quote unquote is, and specifically what the good Christian wife and mother is. And you came to a place where you were wrestling with that and putting them under a little bit of a light, a spotlight to say, is this really true or is this just something that um, has societally come to be expected? Bring me to that place where you first began to push against the boundaries and the walls of what you had come to understand and expect is just good Christianity. Mm -hmm. I was raised by, by two devout Protestant parents who just have given their lives for helping others and for making a difference in the world. And so it was drilled into me really young that, you know, the best thing that you can do with your life is to lay it down for your friend, as Jesus says. And, um, and I really took that to heart. And I think, you know, as a woman getting married and having children in, in Christian spaces, and eventually I converted to Catholicism, but in a lot of ways, the culture is not that different. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there is a lot of uh, language about how honorable and holy sacrifice is, which, of course, it is. But for me, I kind of got to this place, and I see a lot of my mom friends getting to this place, too, of just burnout and just, like, feeling like a doormat, feeling like there's nothing left to give, kind of feeling resentful of of the sacrifices that you're making. And and so for me in my life, it became this burden that was sort of sucking the life out of me and my family, taking me further from the mother that I wanted to be for my kids and the partner that I wanted to be for my husband. And so finally, I sort of like hit a wall and through spiritual direction, you know, I kind of realized 
oh, I have some agency. Like I can make some changes instead of just being mad (laughs) (laughs) about, about all of this giving and all of this sacrifice. Like I can listen to what, what is being stirred in my soul and advocate for myself to get the time and space that I need um, to feel like a whole person with a relationship with God, to feel like someone who's in balance. And so for me, that was kind of the point where I, I started to implement some of those things and found that I was a happier and more loving and compassionate and attentive parent and spouse because of that. But it's kind of it was almost like um, counterintuitive to me because it had seemed so true for the Christian life that self-sacrifice and that laying it down was going to feel like the apex of I am living, I'm living with my whole heart. Um, But the reality was I didn't feel like that. I felt like I was dragging myself around all the time because I didn't, you know, I was just really dry. So for me, that's kind of when I started circling back around and questioning um what like how to hold those things in balance i suppose you know i'm i'm struck by this because um there's a there's a, a group who have read through the forming intentional disciples by sherry waddell and one of the things that is in that group is that um when you are living out the Christian life, specifically the Christian life that um, that you specifically have been called to, so living out your charism, as it's said, uh, that that is one of the most life-giving things uh, possible because you're you're flowing in specifically what the Spirit has called you to do. But so often in the church, we don't go and live out our charism. We go and fill in a void of whatever um, of whatever thing our parish happens to need or whatever the the loudest mm-hmm. voice is that said, oh, come and do this thing because we need a warm body here, not because, oh, you have specific gifting and calling in this area. Uh, and so we do. We, we offer ourselves to a martyrdom not for the kingdom of God, but for the loudest voice who can grab our attention. Um, mm-hmm. And so you've, you've come to this place, you recognized you're getting burned out, and then you went to spiritual direction, which I highly recommend for everyone. Uh, and you began imposing some some growth strategies for yourself, giving yourself some space, setting up some internal and external boundaries. And just as quickly as you said, uh, I'm not here to be a martyr, then you go and you actually start living out uh, a self-gift that brings life to you and also to those who are around you. So talk about this tension between getting rid of unhealthy sacrifice and into this healthy self-gift. Yeah. Um, in the book, I talk about setting boundaries as a way to become more generous. And in my life, that has really been true. And, and I, you know, as I read, um, you know, people who are smarter than me in the field of psychology and, and things like that. I, that's what I kept, kept coming across. And it was just like, well, that's fascinating because you would think that setting boundaries. And by that, I mean, um, you know, saying no to things, you know, which we feel like, you know, often we'd feel like we don't have permission to say, say no to things or carve out, um, time, you know, as a mother carving out time alone away from the kids or away even from my husband, um, 
just kind of setting these boundaries to say like, this is what makes me a healthy person Mm -hmm. and this is what I need. And even in relationships, you know, we've all had, um, had relationships where we've probably had to set boundaries and, and things like that to kind of preserve, um, the place of health and wholeness where we can best serve God and serve others. And so it became this really interesting exploration for me to, to realize as someone who is not naturally good at setting boundaries, I'm sort of like, I like to, um, meet needs and I like to help and I, you know, like to be available. So for me to practice setting those boundaries and to kind of honor my own limitations. And like you said, make room to be able to say yes to my actual charism instead of filling my time with things that I'm not actually called to, um, has allowed me to become more generous and to practice generosity because I'm not, um, you know, actually kind of boiling with resentment over the fact that I have to do X, Y, and Z, or that I'm not um, appreciated enough. You know, a lot of times we feel like we're running ourselves ragged and nobody appreciates me. And, and it's like, well, maybe, you know, you're serving, but, but are you serving from a place of interior freedom and generosity? It doesn't really sound like it. It sounds like maybe you need to say no to something so that you don't necessarily have to be thanked or have to, you know, have the ground kiss beneath your feet for, do, for serving or for doing what you, what you um, believe in, like the act of service itself could be the reward. Um, anyway, so it, it is an interesting um, path that I didn't really seek out and, but I'm really glad to have found. And I found not just for myself, but for a lot of other people and in particularly women, I, I think, um, who feel that way. And I think a lot of people in ministry as well, I think, can relate yeah. to that. Well, we do get to this place of burnout because we feel like um, in order to uh, to really be living out holiness, we have to be always active. And mm-hmm. so often we find our, our identity and really kind of define who we are by the things that we do for the church or for one another or for work or for whatever activity. Uh, But a large part of our Catholic life is recognizing the interior life, this contemplative side of things, of, of letting go of what I can do for God and being in a place of who am I in relationship to God. And letting the activity, which is inevitably going to come, flow out of that interior life rather than trying to cram just a tiny little bit of interior life together every once in a while when I've got five spare minutes between this kid needing something and that kid needing something. Right. Yes, definitely. Um, I think that's, you know, um, this book, this Rewilding Motherhood, there are things about it that feel uncomfortable for some people. And I totally understand that. And I think one of those things is in kind of this lens of encountering God and finding identity in God within ourselves instead of um, God as a being that's really far away that we're sort of grasping at, you know, kind of like I, I was really fascinated with this idea, you know, that Jesus preaches so often of the kingdom of God is within you. You go looking here and, or, you know, here and there, and, and it's within you. And, you know, and he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit coming and, 
and, and being within us. And so I was kind of just really interested in what you're, what you're saying about how do we, how do we assign greater value to our interior life and how do we nurture that in a way that takes, um, that takes that seriously and, and counts it as worthy and, um, and our identity becomes less in, um, our sacrifices or, or our, um, work that we're doing or the ministry or the service or volunteer work or what have you, but, but what's actually going on in us, you know, when the lights go out or when we're laying in bed at night, like what's left, is there anything left and how, how is that relationship with God within us really, you know, when everything goes silent? Well, just, just to make things more uncomfortable, let's, let's push on this just a little bit. Um, your last book was Embracing Weakness, The Unlikely Secret to Changing the World. Um, for those who have gone through trauma or maybe uh, a certain unhealthy um, view of religion in your childhood, it becomes very difficult to distinguish between the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the feelings of internal guilt based on what I think should be happening. So as you're coming into this this struggle yourself and holding these things in tensions, uh, whether in your personal life or in the stories of the women you've talked to, how have you found the ability to to come to discern the difference between the promptings of the Holy Spirit leading you into this guidance and just this latent feeling of guilt that I should be doing more? Right. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, it goes back to, you know, spiritual direction, like we talked about counseling. I mean, you don't have to be in, you know, you don't have to be coming from a place of severe trauma to benefit from counseling. I mean, really, we all can. And I think, you know, it's really hard for us to see all of our own blind spots and unpack our own issues. Um, and so having kind of a, a, an objective third party, you know, in spiritual direction and counseling, they do, they serve different purposes, but I think, you know, in order to be able to differentiate some of those voices, often we do need help. We do need someone to be giving that input or, or, um, seeing things that we miss or asking the right questions, um, that we just don't even know to ask ourselves. So I, yeah, I, I talk a lot about intuition in the book. Um, but I, I, I would want to put in the caveat that we can't just trust every feeling that we have or every thought that we have. Certainly not like we have to be actively forming our conscience but also actively healing ourselves and healing those past wounds and some of the unhealthy ways that we find our being in the world, unhealthy lenses that we see relationships or, or even God. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it takes a lot of work I think, to be a, to be a human being, you know, to be a healthy person, like, like trying to move forward and grow. Um, but I think those investments, really show themselves as worthy when we look at, you know, our, our place of inner freedom and our place of feeling, feeling our belovedness by God. Um, so much, so much of our junk gets in the way of those things. And so I think we really kind of benefit from having, having as much help as possible as we wade through them. 
when we're a kid, we look at our parents and we think, oh, well, when you grow up, you become a healthy adult. And then you grow up and you realize that your parents weren't healthy adults. And and now it's not just going to happen. And you actually have to do the work. And it's just kind of, yeah. uh, it's it's a trick. Yes, I know. I know. I keep wondering when, when it'll happen for my kids. My <laughs> oldest is only 11, so we're still a ways away. Right. But, but now I want, I'm like, I want to like look them in the face and like, please know that I'm not perfect. <laughs> I have oh. not arrived, but it's just a, you know, human development is what it is. Well, and we just, it. yeah, my oldest is 13 and we do, we sit down and have, okay, listen, uh, this was a mistake on my part and I'm sorry for that. And you need to know that this is, this is hard and it's going to be hard when you grow up. And, and I think that that kind of, of humility hopefully is going to put them in a good place. Yeah. Um, but it's also a really good place for us to just acknowledge it and to acknowledge it in front of our kids that, Hey, you know, I don't have it figured out, but I still love you. And, and I'm trying to love you really well. And that means right now you going away for about an hour so I can have some quiet time. Yeah. <laughs> right. So let's get to that. This, this idea, first, we're going to hold things in tension. We're going to hold, realize that there are some healthy ways uh, to live the self-gift. And there are some unhealthy ways to just deplete our own spiritual resources. Uh, but with that, you go from there into this idea of reclaiming solitude. And this is something that no mother, no father really thinks they have maybe even a right to, to say, I need to get away from all of you. Moms, you need to say this sometimes. I need to get away from all of you, even your husband and your kids, and go and do something and be in silence. And how, Shannon, have you come to a place where, you, one, you recognize the need, two, you were able to do it, and three, now that you've done it, what does it look like? Mm, yeah, man, it's it's so real. And I've been in different seasons where it's, sometimes it's, it's been able to look, um, a little more expansive, like I can get an hour, you know, every few days or, you know, one afternoon on the weekend or whatnot. So sometimes that works for people, you know, to kind of have these, these chunks of time for a lot of us, you know, that doesn't happen as often as we like, depending on family, family circumstances. And so kind of one thing that I enjoy exploring is like, what can we do with what we have? You know, like if it's not possible to get an, enough, like away from the family time as we need, how can we sort of cultivate this, this inner well inside of us that can refresh and replenish us in the middle of the day, <laughs> as wild as that sounds. But so I think it, I think it's just sort of sometimes a, a mindset shift and kind of a, a journey that everybody has to take on their own, but um, so for me, some really practical examples of, of it ha have been, I have been known to just put my younger children in a stroller and walk around the neighborhood. But, but again, it's like more of a state of mind. It's, you know, I give them snacks or whatever. Sometimes I can even like play like a story on my, you know, on my phone for them to listen to, mm -hmm. but just to be able to get lost in my thoughts and often, that can also mean getting lost in prayer of just actually being out in nature, being out, um, just sort of focusing on my breath and like 
letting like those short breath pair prayers of, um, Jesus, I trust in you just in and out things like that. You know, it's like prayer doesn't always have to be going to adoration or having 30 minutes of silence in your room. when you know, like those things are so beautiful when we can do them, but we can't always do them. And so, you know, finding ways, um, reading a book of poetry while the kids are playing outside. Of course, they need me to be within six feet of them at all times. <laughs> so so I can't leave, but, but I could open up a book of poetry. I could open up my journal and pen. I don't dare open up my laptop to write because everybody will, right. <laughs> will come in. But if, I'm, if it's pen and paper, then I usually get left alone. So kind of finding ways like that to, um, to kind of cultivate our inner sanctuary and to find ways to commune with God um, that are sort of like going to a secret place in the middle of the chaos. So when we can't do the, you know, one hour outside of the house, walking through a trail, which sounds lovely, um, on the days that we can't do that, like what other tools are in our toolbox to be able to get that? Absolutely. Um, and at the same time, going back to this internal and external boundary thing, how do you, and maybe for you specifically, how often do you say, okay, I've had, I've grabbed this piece when I can, but I have to do this. So husband, you take the kids, I've got to go do this. Um, What does that look like for you in terms of maybe even scheduling um, Mm -hmm. as a template for other people to maybe grab some agency and assertiveness and pursue that spiritual silence for the, for the health of their soul. Right. I'm so glad you said that because we're, you know, we're all coming to this topic from different family structures and and systems and life experiences. And so um, sometimes people don't think they're able to ask for those things, but they really just haven't tried it or they have, they haven't put their foot down about it. And so it really is, um, you know, for a lot of women kind of, what is required of us is this awakening that, that we have the right to ask for those things, you know, like that. And, and it's not, um, it shouldn't be a burden on the family or it's not too much to ask. Like it's actually God's will and desire for us that we would be able to be refreshed and renewed that way. Um, so yeah, like you and I were talking in a break a minute ago that, that your wife is currently at a book club, you know, having intellectual conversations with, with, with other adults. Women. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, so yeah, but, but like, and you're working, so you had to kind of figure out, yeah. okay, what am I going to do to make this happen for her? And it's so important that in marriage, we're able to consider those conversations as worthy of compromise and yeah. figure out how to make this work. Can we make two things work at the same time with a little creativity, right. maybe a little Disney movie on the side or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think it's kind of time for us to a lot of, a lot of Christian spaces and Catholic spaces, you know, mothers feel like, like, Oh, I just can't ask for that. Like mm-hmm. that's just too much of a burden on my partner who is also a parent, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, it's a journey and we're all kind of in, in different places with different needs, Mm -hmm. but absolutely frequent, frequently stepping away altogether is really important. It's, it's irreplaceable. You know, about, it hasn't happened recently because of um, the worldwide pandemic, but um, about once a year, my wife goes out to New York city for 
the Commission on the Status of Women at the UN, where she's a representative um, for an NGO that goes there. And uh, I, I can't tell you, and this is just baffling to me. I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, so you're babysitting the kids. Oh, like, wow. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm parenting them. That's, yes. I'm the other half of this, you know, and it's important for us. One, it's important for moms to be able to take that time and to pursue silence or pursue their passions, whatever that is, their, their charism that, that God has given them this extraordinary gift to go out and live. But it's also important for us dads to be the dad and to, to not just rely on mom for everything at home and to take the time to be with the kids. And so at the same time that maybe some moms think, Oh man, I can't, I can't leave, you know, do that to him for a whole hour. Well, just as much as you need the silence, he needs that experience of being able mm -hmm. to, uh, to enter, interact with his children on a, on a very intimate level. Right. Yes, absolutely. You know, my husband gets the, the Mr. Mom joke, yeah. you know, and, and it just like rubs him raw because he's <laughs> like, it's called being a dad. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mom is called being a father. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's sort of, um, you know, I, there's a lot of, a lot of room for us to grow in, yeah. in the Catholic church and, and as regards to the involvement of fathers and, and like equal partnership and things like that. I mean, and again, it kind of depends on the circles that you're in, but it's something that I definitely want to see for families, because just like what you're saying is that it's, it's not just beneficial for the mother, but it's really important for the father and his relationship with the kids. And, mm -hmm. um, I think it kind of trickles into our whole social structure. It's just such a good thing. Yeah. So, um, as you are pursuing silence as a just spiritual health, refreshing your soul so that you can live out this self gift, what are a couple of ideas that at the end of every one of your chapters, you have some, uh, extra thinking points, some uh, ideas to process. What are some ideas just in the last minute that we have here in this segment uh, of ways that someone could pursue silence, um, and pursue that, that soul renewal um, that's, that are achievable. Mm. You know, I think one of the, one of the best ways just in the human makeup is to be in nature. I think, mean, you know, we're, we're coming up on winter here, but I think, you know, bundle up and, and get outside, be in nature. And I think finding that silence and again, do what you can with what you have. But I think, um, for there's something in the way that we're wired to experience God in that silence, in the beauty, in the um, just the contemplative spirit that happens when we when we become kind of um, when we see ourselves as a part of the whole, as a part of creation. I think there's something um, that's sort of in the in the contemplative tradition about that. Really, as as finding our place in, in in a part of a whole, not just the human race whole, but the entire Earth in creation. So I think that's like one of the most practical, um, yeah, one of the most practical strategies that I personally like. We're talking today with Shannon K. Evans, author of the new book, Rewilding Motherhood, available on Brazos Press, brazospress.com. Come over and be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. And I would love to hear your thoughts have you come to this place where you're wrestling with 
where your place is in the church? You feel burned out? Are you looking for a way to renew your spirit? Tell us about it. But don't go anywhere because there's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we are talking today about this fantastic book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to Empowered Feminine Spirituality by Shannon K. Evans. There are so many books on feminine spirituality out there, quote unquote. Uh, This is in a class of its own because um, it's, it's challenging. It takes the time to say, you know what, all of these things that you've assumed that you've known about spirituality, maybe you've been interpreting them in a way that's unhealthy for you. That's a hard thing to, I mean, like you're halfway through the first chapter and like, I don't know that I want to read the rest of this, you know, <laughs> but, but as you dig into it, you're like, oh wait, there, there is some really important distinctions here that it would be healthy for me to, to sit with and to breathe with and to expand my soul with. Uh, and not not even so much an intellectual pursuit. Just I need to expand my soul a little bit to to encompass these ideas and this way of approaching spirituality. Um, there's a couple of chapters here that uh, one of the re- one of the ways that you know it's really good is that the chapter titles and the chapter directions um, seem on the face to be kind of in conflict, and it's in the nuance within that you're like, oh. Oh yeah, that's right. We're Catholic. It's a both and kind of a situation. Um, and so I want to hit a couple of those right here, Shannon. Um, the first is this idea of righteous anger, the following anger, the redemptive power of outrage. This is chapter five. We live in a time where anger is both an outrage is both expected right? There's always a new outrage to chase after, but also kind of discouraged. So take us into this idea of, is there such a thing as healthy outrage? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I, I stumbled onto this quote that I thought was really helpful and I included it in this chapter of, um, it's Sue Monk Kidd and she talks about transforming our rage into outrage. And she says, rage is really like not beneficial. Outrage is sort of its active cousin. <laughs> the one the one who does something about whatever is wrong that, that has kind of ignited the sense of, of holy injustice in you and you wanna make it right. So, you know, kind of taking from that, um, but you're right, you know, on one hand it's like, the country has never been more angry. You know, everybody's angry about something. It's, you know, something new every week or month, um, both sides of the aisle. But I think, you know, when it comes down to women's, women as, as individuals, you know, on a, on a smaller scale in our life, um, most women will say, that they don't feel it's okay um, or acceptable or even 
safe in some ways to to be angry, mm-hmm. to be mad. So, um, you know, there's we use a lot of different words. We say we're frustrated. We say we're we're fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and and I'm sure this is true to an extent of men, too. But I think for women in particular, it just it's we're allowed to be angry on behalf of someone else because it's like the mama bear coming right. out that people kind of respect and admire and like to see. Um, but when we w- when we're angry about something that's maybe more personal, you know, on a on a relational level or when it has to do with just us and not on behalf of our child or on behalf of, you know, the orphans of the world or whatever it is, um, it makes people uncomfortable. And, and I think women have kind of, you know, it's interesting to me because I think the history of, of the human race has been such that in a lot of ways, women weren't safe to be angry because in order to be protected and provided for and, and not left to die, like we kind of needed to be um, congenial and, and nice to be around and pleasing. And so I think that in a lot of ways that's been passed down generationally. Um, and now, even though those things are no longer true, you know, like if, if, you know, for whatever reason, we, we are unagreeable. Most of our husbands aren't going to, you know, (laughs) kick us out to be, to be left for dead. But, um, and not that, you know what I mean? Not that men in the past, would all do that. But, but it was, it was less, there was no financial, you know, safety net. There was no social safety net for women in, in, in the past. And so kind of trying to invite women to follow our anger instead of being afraid of it. Cause even scripture says, be angry, but do not sin. Mm-hmm. So clearly experiencing anger is not sinful. It's not wrong it's a part of the human experience. And even Jesus was angry, you know, and we see him, you know, flipping over the tables. And so kind of trying to, instead of running from it or repressing it or naming it something else, trying to put language to it um, and ask questions about what it's trying to tell us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a lot of us, it might be, you know, an injustice that we see in in society that we're legitimately angry about. Um, Or it could be an anger of more, like we were talking about earlier in the first segment, a a lack of solitude, a lack of space and boundaries that that would make us healthier and happier. Um, So, you know, there's kind of a lot of, I don't want to try to, you know, list all of the things that women yeah. could be angry about, but it's more of like a spiritual practice to, to, um, get used to noticing our feelings and asking where they lead instead of just trying to overcome them instead of just trying to be less angry. Well, and, and even beyond that, the, so recognizing the anger is good and recognizing where it goes is good. But I think one of the things that we so often in our society just completely miss is asking the question, where does this anger come from? What is the precipitating event and what is it really? Not the thing that set it off, but the thing that fostered it. Um, the, the thing, the thing that I'm responding to immediately is, is kind of the event that caused it, but what's the root of that anger and, and how is that best adjust? I, I think of anger in a similar way to thinking of pain medically, right? Pain yes. is a good thing 
uh, as much as it's an awful thing. It's a good thing because it tells us that something is wrong. Right. And then you can, because of that pain, chase down and figure out and and seek to cure that thing that is wrong. Anger is that for us because it shows us that there's something that's not right internally. Either it's um, something within me that I need to adjust, maybe my pride was was hurt, or maybe there's something that really needs to be addressed externally and I am responding to it. And so now let's take the time and examine it and evaluate it and follow the train of where did this come from so that we can adequately prayerfully through whatever means we need to uh, address this to, to, to bring resolution to it. Yes. Yes, exactly. I'm so glad you, you paused to elaborate on that because that could be confusing to say like, Oh, we need to ask questions about where the anger is coming from. Well, it's almost never what just happened. Right. <laughs> you know, it's almost always, well, you know, it's a little bit that, but it's, it's almost always something that goes much deeper um, and things that we've, probably wrestled against or bumped up against for a long, long time. So yeah, kind of, again, waving my flag for spiritual direction and counseling, really helpful to unpack that kind of stuff, but also just on our own, like actually taking the time to, um, to ask those questions about being, you know, tracing back to the root, kind of going dot, following the breadcrumbs. That's the metaphor I'm looking for just to find what the root of it is. Now, while we're talking about this anger and, and this processing, we are in a very angry time in our culture. And part of that is because we we find these things to be angry about and we feel like we have to express and solve everything. Like we, we have we have an obligation in some way to uh, to express all of this anger and to to solve the world's problems. A um, couple of chapters later, you have this becoming gentle. Tenderness in exchange for criticism. So often we get angry and we think, well, I, I have to express this when maybe we don't really. Maybe there's an opportunity for us in those things that it's not uh, important to our soul to express that anger. Maybe there's sometimes we just kind of need to step back from the fray mm-hmm. and practice gentleness. So let's talk about this practicing gentleness. And then after that, I want to juxtapose, how do we discern between the two? Yeah. Um, I think in that chapter, I really kind of explored how first and foremost, how we, how we are with ourselves, how we treat ourselves, because often if we are really critical of others and really quick to, um, quick to be disappointed or dissatisfied with others, quick to correct, that's probably also happening with ourselves. We probably also are dealing with a lot of, you know, the inner critic and self-criticism and and this feeling of um, not measuring up and not getting things right. And so in that, in that vein, I think um, just practicing self-compassion um, practicing reconnecting as therapists say with the inner child, you know, kind of looking back over, um, some of the wounds in our childhood that sort of cemented this, these patterns in our own life of, of, of being self-critical, whether it was voices that, you know, said those things out loud to us or things that we internalized. Um, but, but yeah, kind of going back and doing the work of figuring out, um, with ourselves, how to extend 
the love of God, the extravagant grace of God to ourselves. And once we're able to do that, I think it becomes much, much easier to extend that to other people as well, whether that be our children or our spouse or the greater world at large that is kind of a dumpster fire right now, you know, but, um, but I think it, it really does start from practicing with ourselves and having that compassion. So now let's take the moment to juxtapose the two. How, how do we figure out, how do we discern when it's time to follow the anger towards redemption, this redemptive anger, uh, and when it's time to practice gentleness, because those two don't often seem to be uh, compatible, uh, or at least not to be simultaneously expressed. Mm-hmm. How do we evaluate the situation to figure out the proper response for us at a moment? Well, I think, you know, there's also this idea that that being in touch with your anger means yelling or being violent or being sort of out of control. And I don't think that that is ever really has a place, you know, not that I don't ever yell, but like, I I don't, I don't make excuses for that behavior. You know, I think we can be in touch with the anger, recognize it, name it, process it without doing harm to another human being, you know, emotionally or physically. And so I think that, you know, there, it's hard to say it's hard to look at them as even separate things because I think they're almost two sides of the same coin and both require a lot of um, honesty with ourselves and before God and prayer and, and with ourselves in, in whatever format we're kind of using for that structure, but to, to really explore um, all of it of like how to become a, a human being who is both, awake, aware, you know, the anger part, and also is finding, um, finding a way to live in compassion for myself and for other people. And, and those things actually, I think go together, but it is sort of a, it is sort of a tricky balance of like holding the tension between the two. So I don't think that there's my, my gut reaction is that there's not necessarily a way to discern like off the bat, which one is called for at any given time. But I think it's sort of more of a mentality and kind of a spiritual practice of being able to look at those things from multiple different angles um, and being able to integrate them. Mm-hmm. Ah, the simple integration of the human person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Piece of cake. Just, all you need to do is just be a whole person, you know, just <laughs> yeah. so with that, with that in mind, we've got about a minute left. Final thoughts for us today in this book, Re, uh, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to Empowered Spiritual, Feminine Spirituality. Hmm. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. My hope for this book is that women would find an invitation to a deeper communion with God. And, um, and like you said, at the beginning, I've heard wonderful feedback from husbands saying it helped them understand their wives better as well. Um, I think it's one of those books where not every part will be for everyone, but my hope is that there will be one or two or three or four things that, that jump out at a woman and she's able to explore those, to take them to prayer and to grow and live a healthier spirituality. The book right now is available at brazospress.com. You can also get it wherever you buy your books. 
The book, again, is Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to Empowered Feminine Spirituality. Shannon K. Evans, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me on. If you missed any part of my conversation with Shannon Evans or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you're intrigued and you just can't get enough, well, I've got good news for you. There's always more. Uh, Each and every week we record an extra segment that we give in gratitude as a gift to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our support community at Patreon helps keep us on the air, uh, gives us the resources that we need, and we like to give them extra content to boot. So there's a fairly lengthy segment this week as we continue our conversation with Shannon K. Evans. Uh, You can find out more information there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says Patreon-support-the-show. Click that link, follow the directions, see if that's something that you're interested in doing, and take a listen to that extra segment. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, letting you jump from the Scriptures to the catechism to the documents of the church to the fathers and, and, and doctors of the church and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. And it's important for us to remember this. Um, we are a religion of the both and, right? We, we do have this sense of offering our bodies as living sacrifices, of realizing that in this world we will have trouble. But at the same time, Jesus follows that with, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Here, Jesus reminds us that, yes, there is a burden. Yes, there is work to be done. But when we take that yoke upon us, his yoke, and of course the yoke being that thing that is put on oxen to help them do the work, his yoke is easy. The burden that we bear as we do the work of Christ, the burden is light. If you find yourself in a place where you are absolutely dry and overwhelmed and do not feel the the presence of Christ, you you feel isolated and alone and, and just worn out, Well, I want to encourage you to take a deep breath, take a step back from it all and realize that the things that God calls us to, they may be work, but they'll never be overwhelmingly burdensome. He longs for us to live these lives full of his presence. In another place, there's this parable of the vine and the branches. 
And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me as I, as I remain in you. It talks about the all the life of the branch comes from the vine. And if you're feeling like you have no life in you, and you're just absolutely worn out, as we're coming into the season of Advent very soon, this is a good time to reestablish that connection, to take some steps back, maybe even try to figure out a way to delegate some of the, the, the lead up into Christmas so that you can spend at least some time reconnecting with the person of Jesus Christ in this Advent season, reconnecting with his presence, with the life of God that he longs to give to you. Don't worry about the work, right? The work will come. Don't worry about the sacrifice. The sacrifice will come. But when it's done in Christ, in fully enveloped in his love, then it's life-giving. It's not overwhelming. And along those same lines, our reading from church history today comes from a commentary on the Song of Songs by St. Gregory of Nyssa. Where do you pasture your sheep, O good shepherd, you who carry on your shoulders the whole flock? For it is but one sheep, this entire human race, whom you lift onto your shoulders. Show me the place where there are green pastures. Let me know restful waters. Lead me out to nourishing grass and call me by your name so that I can hear your voice. For I am your own sheep. And through that voice calling me, give me eternal life. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, this is how I address you, because your true name is above all other names. It is unutterable and incomprehensible to all rational creatures. And so the name I use for you is simply the statement of my soul's love for you. And this is an apt name for making your goodness known. Very dark though I am, how could I not love you who so loved me? that you laid down your life for the sheep you tend. No greater love can be conceived than this, that you should purchase my salvation at the cost of your life. Show me then, says the bride, where you tend your sheep, so that I may find the saving pasture and be filled with heavenly nourishment. For whoever does not eat this food cannot enter eternal life. Let me run to you, the spring, and drink the divine draught that you cause to pour forth for the thirsty, offering water from your side, opened by the spear. Whoever drinks of this becomes a fountain of water, springing up to eternal life. If you feed me thus, then you will surely make me lie down at noonday, and I shall at once sleep in peace, resting in a light that knows no shadow. Indeed, there is no shadow at noon, for the sun shines directly over that summit where you make those you tend lie down, 
and take your children with you to your bed. No one is judged worthy of this noonday rest who is not a child of light and of the day. But if anyone makes himself equally distant from the shadows of daybreak and those of nightfall, that is, from the origin of evil and its conclusion, the Son of Righteousness makes him lie down at noontide. Show me then, says the bride, how I should lie down. Show me the path to this noonday repose, lest my ignorance of your truth cause me to stray from your good guidance and consort with flocks which are strangers to yours. Thus speaks the bride, anxious about the beauty God has given her and seeking to learn how her comeliness may continue forever. That reading comes from a commentary on the Song of Songs by St. Gregory of Nyssa. I wonder how often you and I stray from God's good guidance and consort with flocks which are strangers to his. I wonder how often we get it in our heads that, oh, no, no, I've, I've got this. I've got this figured out. I know where you're going to guide me, God. I, I've got a sense of where I'm supposed to be, and so I'm just going to head that way. I'm going to go over there, and, um, and I'll meet you there, right? I wonder how often we don't take the time to really listen and really discern because we think that these smaller decisions are less important. We know the trajectory that we're supposed to go on, right? Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. We know that we're supposed to live lives of service. We know that we're supposed to live lives of holiness. But I think that sometimes we just assume that we know exactly what that means and we don't take the time to really listen, to let our soul expand, to spend time in prayer and find that place where we can say, you whom my soul loves, if you're finding yourself in a place that's dry. Perhaps, not, not 100%, but perhaps this isn't the pasture where you're meant to lay down. Perhaps God has a different place for you to be. And the way that we find that out is through encounter. We find out where God wants us to be by following him and not following him in, in a way of following a set prescription of rules or, or even of making sure that we spend enough time in our devotional reading, but actually cultivating a spirit of peace cultivating that, that prayer life, that time in contemplation of his goodness, spending time being where he is, that place of refreshment and joy. And then, yes, maybe he might have us cross some difficult paths. But if he does, we'll be with him in that process. The burden will be easy. The yoke will be light because it's with him. So if you find yourself in a dry place, I want to encourage you, deeply encourage you, take a step back, call out for the Lord, find a place of solitude, of prayer, of listening, and be encouraged that the God who loves you 
is not far from you. There's a great opportunity this Lenten season to seek after him and find that rest. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Michael and Julie Highland and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.